try anonymizing parts of the process if that's part of what you're doing to overhaul your hiring process and then still keep experimenting with it I think it's it's a mistake to say well we tried this thing and it still churned out loads of men so it didn't work So um, my guest for today is Ella again, uh, and this is the second part of the um, uh, the episode of last week, uh, which was all about uh, anonymized hiring, anonymizing CVs, blind recruitment. Uh, what is it? What do we actually take off our resume? Is it that effective? And, and how is it actually impacting maybe the candidate, but also the recruiter? So we touched upon that part very specifically in the previous one. So if you're interested in that episode uh, and you did not listen to it yet, then definitely would recommend to do so. In this episode, we are going to talk about blind recruitment beyond the CV, uh, because blind recruitment does serve the goal, obviously, to improve diversity in the funnel, to uh, guarantee objectivity in the hiring process. But there's much more prior to screening a resume and what happens after that when you're going to conduct interviews. So that's what we will touch upon today with Ella. So I have to admit that, okay, we use our own games as a first step. So we have objective insights in someone, uh, but it was up until our people and culture manager landed her job here that we try to structure interviews but i would not say that it was very successful uh she really pushed for okay structure interview it sounds mm-hmm. like a very big thing to do i think maybe that's i, I think that's one of the, re- the the things in general right with restructuring process people also might fear the change in the workload that comes with it yes uh while structuring interviews is actually it's not even that hard to to do like usually you already have a set of questions in mind or at least information that you would want to collect during an interview all you have to do is flip it around in maybe three questions give it a one to five rating and you need to make sure that people fill it in separately or mm. in the interview so it's 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 not that hard to do so but i always have the feeling with structured interviews that that people just fear the workload that comes with it i think people fear the workload partly because they 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 assume what you're saying which is oh I have to do a whole new thing and it's it's like well no I'm not saying you need to necessarily change the questions you're asking the questions you're asking might be great questions but what I am saying is maybe you've asked this candidate these three questions and maybe you've asked this candidate those three questions and instinctively you may or may not have been biased in how you decided whether to ask me the hard question or or not. And that's impacted your decision-making process. And so if you already have a list of 10 questions, it's just about adding some consistency and some, a little bit more rigor to what you're already doing. And then the second pushback I sometimes get there with structured interviewing is it's not going to be conversational. You know, it's going to be awkward. and uh, again, you know, I think that there's a way to make it conversational. There's a way to add transparency for the candidate and to say, look, it might feel a little bit awkward. I'm going to have um, five key questions that I ask you. But the reason that we do this is X. We want to make sure it's a fair process. So, you know, I think it's pretty easy to make that quite transparent for the candidate. So yeah. I find that a little bit of an excuse, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> I fully agree. <laughs> <laughs> I would be interested to hear ideas on how you anonymize active sourcing. Well, sourcing is definitely not my cup of tea. So I would like to end this question over to you. Yeah, tough question. So 
it goes without saying that you can't really anonymize active sourcing. Uh, what I would say, though, is and, and active sourcing is a key part of hiring, whether we like it or not. If you don't work for Google or Spotify and you don't just get thousands of applications as soon as you put a job up, you're going to have to do some form of active uh, sourcing. And that's fine, I think. Um, what I would say is that or how I would approach this is to say we have a really clear process that process involves this game or this task or this exercise and then a structured interview stage and whatever that's our mm -hmm. process and so we do active sourcing but we still ask every single candidate to still go through that process and when yeah. I do my game or my task or whatever you don't know who's done what and I, I apply the same kind of logic to to referrals because people say yeah but you know referrals what about that and referrals can be bad for DEI for many re obvious reasons but yeah. again I would say I'm not anti-referrals I would just say if you refer someone good they just don't skip the process yeah. and if they're if they're that good they should do well in the process right if the process is is yeah. correct yeah I think that's by far the most important thing we it's funny that you mentioned referrals because we well not with every customer but with a lot of customers we usually have some discussions around referrals because what's usually the the, the the gut response they gave is but if we have a referral then we are not going to let them complete your games because it's a referral right we put the effort in getting someone into the application procedure that is not fair to let someone complete games before they go into an interview and i think that's exactly where it's going wrong so if you if you're going to change the differentiate the process based on oh this one comes in via a, a colleague friend whatever it's by default bias, of course. I mean, I always indeed say to mm. customers, like, if it's a good referral, then uh, all good, right? And you will probably just pass and, and you don't be good. If we believe that the game is, a, is an accurate test of the things we want to test, because that's a question. Um, but as long as we believe that, then they should do well in the games. We, in my last role, because I overhauled the hiring process at the company that I worked uh, for, and we used to have these psychometric tests, which I hated. And I, I I did a load of discovery with a load of hiring managers. And I was like, when do you use these tests? How do you use them? What are you? And, and overwhelmingly, I found that some people were using them. Some people weren't using them. Some people were using them selectively. So they put people through them. But this was a fun one. If they liked the person and they didn't do well on the test. They disregarded the test. Yeah. Confirmation, <laughs> yeah. guys. So, so frankly, the way that the test was being used was not was not fit for purpose. So we either believe in the process we're using or we don't. And if we believe in it, then then everyone should go through it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Since the tech market in the Netherlands is eighty percent uh, men driven, well, I assume that's relatively the same for the UK. How can you anonymize your process without the risk of leaning towards a fully male team? So I think that in overhauling our, our hiring processes, what we should be doing at each point is a, applying quite an experimental approach and quite a curious approach. And so I would say if we anonymize the process, let's say, and we're just getting men at the end of the process, there's lots of questions I would start to ask. What questions are we asking in interview? What things are we still valuing? Where is there still bias in this process? Um, you know, I've seen all kinds of things, all kinds of requirements in job roles I've had to question 
there's a product manager role in my last company where one of the requirements was a master's in a STEM subject. And I was like, why? <laughs> yeah. Or it will be, you know, we need somebody because uh, the product that I that we worked with the tech product was in the kind of fintech space there would be things like they need ecosystem experience in the financial world and I was like do you know what that means for the gender bias that we're going to automatically have so I think I think the answer to that question for me is try anonymizing parts of the process if that's part of what you're doing to overhaul your hiring process and then still keep experimenting with it I think it's it's a mistake to say well we tried this thing and it still churned out loads of men so it didn't work I think it I think a better approach is to say what is still not working and at what stage do we still need to kind of fine-tune this yeah yeah exactly because I think that of course anonymizing CVs helps you in maybe not getting biased but if you I think the thing also has a lot to do with getting a diverse group of people applying to your position in the first place. Yeah. And gen- again, uh, I think the gender confidence gap comes in. Uh, I think if females read a job description and they uh, they think they only meet like four out of five requirements, then probably on average a female wouldn't apply. And if a man takes two out of five boxes, then they instantly apply. It. <laughs> um, so I think it's a super interesting topic that you that you brought up. Like it's. With these kinds of things, uh, it's always super important to make sure that if you want to test whether, for example, anonymized recruitment is working, that you don't confuse that with something else that might be going wrong in your funnel. Uh, because yeah. it could be that a company may be saying, oh, we don't get enough females in our interview, so anonymized recruitment is not working. Uh, while it's, the reality is actually that their job description is leading to females exactly. not applying in the first way. I think you need to be really good at looking at each stage of the process and seeing where things exactly, not just how, but where things are going wrong. It might be that you have super diverse pool of candidates and no women are making it past the final interview. Well, that's a question of who's interviewing, what questions are they asking, where's the bias in that step? Or you might find that you're struggling to attract women as an example in the first place, in which case job descriptions, employer brand, glass door reviews, you know, all of those things might be impacting uh, yeah. before people even apply in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's it's maybe a good summary of the topic that we touched upon before, like anonymizing resumes is just one step in the funnel. It's maybe a good step in the funnel if you want to specifically increase the conversion of diversity from applying to first interview for example but if you are looking for a different conversion to improve apply to or interview to hire it for example uh, exactly. and then this is not going to to do it for you uh, so i think that's uh yeah i'm a big fan of uh, i'm a big fan of data i think that with all these discussions it all starts with knowing where exactly in the fiddle it might be going wrong exactly can we have a selection process that minimizes uh, subjectivity? Maybe an assessment center, it might reduce or eliminate some biases. Well, this is for me by default a very biased question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I would like to end that one over to you. <laughs> okay. Yes is the short answer, I think. But the longer answer to that is I'd still be really 
um, I'd still continue to challenge yourself in how you're assessing and what you're assessing. I think sometimes if you take assessment centers as an example, they have loads of bias just baked into them. And they're even more dangerous because they think of themselves as objective <laughs> processes. So, um, you know, one of the mistakes I made early on in my career as a manager is we had a kind of a kind of graduate recruitment assessment center thing that we did. And I ended up hiring a not very diverse group of, of young graduates. And, and part of the reason for that, even though I like to think at the time I was quite inclusive, <laughs> part of the reason for that was we hadn't designed the day in a way that would test for the right things. And so actually the people who spoke the loudest in the room got noticed and the people who had already done certain research on the company impressed more and there were loads of people there was one young guy who'd started his own t-shirt clothing business who was super creative and I didn't hire him kind of even though I wanted to because he didn't perform well in the tests that I that we had created but the tests weren't testing for the right thing mm. um and so I think you have to be really really thoughtful because you can get yourself into a situation where you think you've done designed something fairly objective um and you haven't. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's always, I think, the 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 very big disclaimer when using tests in general. Uh, it's, of course, it's a more objective measurement than a human being judging your skills. But if you set the wrong requirements in the first place, you're not going to achieve any results with that. We see it a lot of times with companies that when they start working with us, they have like a list of 20 different things of which they think it's crucial to have it in order to perform well. If you just turn that list into an assessment without objectively assessing, is that list actually the list that we should be looking for? Uh, yeah, it's biased by default, right? It's uh, it's already gone wrong at the start. So I uh, I fully agree. It can be beneficial. It can be also very, very dangerous if you start off with the wrong requirements to look for. Exactly. Hey, I've uh, One last question popped into my mind because we actually had a discussion uh, where I had a discussion with my people and culture manager about this last week. A bit off topic, but I think that a lot of people or a lot of companies that are trying out anonymized recruitment also just struggle with a diverse start of the funnel, which again might have more to do with maybe the, the, the places where you source people where your job advertisements are rather than anonymizing resumes. Now, a lot of people, of course, use LinkedIn as a main source to recruit people. Uh, my hypothesis after four years of hiring for this company is that LinkedIn also might not be the most diverse place to look for employees. Do you have any experience with alternative platforms for sourcing or advertising job um, uh, advertising job openings that might also lead to a more diverse pool in the first place? I do. Um, so in terms of kind of platforms, I have I have used platforms that are specifically geared towards diversity. So for instance, there are some kind of networks. There's something, I think it's mostly UK based, but there's a there's a company, for instance, called BYP, Black Young Professionals Network, which is a mm -hmm. uh, a network of I think about 50, 60,000 black professionals looking for jobs in tech where you can post your job and that kind of thing. And so there are these kind of alternatives to LinkedIn 
for sure. Um, one of the things I found working in a kind of scale up environment is that there's still sometimes a struggle with brand awareness in those in those yeah. situations. So what what we found was because we were a fairly small company, um, we did advertise on on some of those networks, but we just still didn't get many applications because you're competing with Snapchat, right? <laughs> um, so that I guess is is one drawback that continues to be one drawback but I think it's important not to just necessarily post on job boards like for instance BYP have a conference where you can go and speak and increase your uh, your brand awareness and things like that so I think you do have to think a little bit a little bit outside the box I suppose um, and the other thing I would say is I think it's possible to be a, just a lot more creative. What often happens, what I found working in a kind of high-paced, high-pressure tech environment is that people are always trying to hire yesterday. So they just don't, they, yeah. they, they don't really have time to, or they think they don't have time to go back to the drawing board or think about doing things differently or post in different places. So you get these defaults of like LinkedIn and personal networks. And that's kind of how it works. But I think if we're constantly thinking about hiring and we're thinking about it more proactively, then there are loads of uh, creative ways of, of um, approaching it. For instance, I once I once had a conversation with our UK kind of sales manager who I think thought I was just barking mad for saying this, but um, there are these young black, mostly um young black guys who stand outside liverpool street station in london and try and get you to sign up to some kind of charity and they are absolutely dogged in their pursuit they will not they will hound you until you sign up and i said to him that is a pool of future sdrs for you like they are enthusiastic they are determined they were like <laughs> you could go and chat to them you know so that that's just one kind of almost slightly off the wall example of yeah. how I don't think it necessarily has to be through super traditional professional routes always. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. To summarize, so uh and please uh, let me know if I forget any interesting points. Uh as a starter, anonymizing resumes, it is a good start, but definitely not an isolation. So what you can do pre and post screening is pre screening look maybe for alternative platforms or ways to um, also reach a more diverse group of people. When it comes to sourcing and referrals, make sure that the process is structured the exact same way for everyone, regardless of whether it comes in organically or through sourcing or referrals. And then post screening, make sure that you always structure interviews Maybe it's not structured from the start to the end. There's always an intro and an outro, but make sure that you at least ask the, the same three or four questions to everyone. Did I then uh, summarize exactly. the last Perfect. 45 minutes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Any last words that you would like to add to that? I would just say, so first thing I'd say is if you do those things that you just mentioned, Charlotte, you're doing 90% more than most companies do <laughs> so you're doing a huge amount and it's actually fairly simple um and then the second thing i would say that i feel warrants saying is it's it's really important that you're working on your working culture and your inclusivity and um all of that side of things alongside your hiring process because even yeah. if you've got this kind of thing in the most 
in a, in an incredibly successful way, people will leave if you're not looking at at your working culture as well. Cool. And thanks so much, Ella, for all the interesting insights. I love the fact that it's um, I already mentioned it before. It's 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 difficult topics, uh, and I always like to make it very tangible. And I have the feeling that we provided people with a lot of very practical things to do so thanks so much for that happy to rejoin and thank you so much for having me it was a great chat thanks so much ella again and see you soon and thanks everyone for listening